Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Back from vacation, but hopefully you've been listening like I never left because there were some episodes just sort of dropped in there for you. Uh, We talked some win totals. I made what might be a really stupid wager with Ari, although we haven't decided how stupid yet, but my side of it's probably pretty stupid because I'm giving Ari 15 points on the LSU-UCLA game. So we'll see what happens, but Ari's back here today. We are talking, talking season because media days start this week. The Big 12's media days are at the end of this week. The SEC is next week. Everybody else is is rolling after that. It's time. Ari, football's here. Like, we get to talk about it to real people, coaches, and players. Sometimes in the same room, even. It feels like football season because you're already starting to second guess a, uh, a bet that you made. That's what really yeah, yeah, brings yeah, yeah. it home. Oh, well, here's the thing. Okay, so if you if you listened last week, you heard uh, I'm giving Ari 15 points with UCLA in the LSU-UCLA game. If you want to bet that uh, in Vegas or, well, anywhere else it's legal, uh, you get four and a half. I'm giving you 15 because I'm probably because I'm stupid, but I just feel that confident. I looked back, and the, and the last time I was this heavy on LSU – was going into the 2008 uh, 2018 season when they were playing Miami. And everybody's like, oh, Miami's going to kill them. Like, nah, I think my LSU is going to win that game. Do you know how many points LSU won that game by, Ari? How many? 16. They won it 33 to 17. They were up 33 to 3. Miami scored two garbage time touchdowns to, to close the gap to 16. But maybe subliminally, that's where my head was at when I gave you that 15. You know, you don't have to uh, second guess it. It's it's called uh, the heart knows. The heart wants what it wants. And, you know, this, despite the fact that I've got, what, more than 10 points of, of cushion here, you've got me worried for some reason. And I don't know why. Yes! I'm, 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 I'm in your to, head. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, middle of July, and you're in my head about a regular season football game. So we're, we're starting to feel uh, feel right on track here. Listeners, we have to figure out what what we have to do if we lose. One of us is going to lose that bet. So we need to know what that should be at Ari Wasserman, at Andy underscore Staples on Twitter, uh, at Andy underscore Staples on Instagram, at Ari Wasserman on Instagram. You can also leave a, you know, leave a comment with a, you know, with a five-star review if you'd like. I mean, you could leave a one-star review if you wanted to, but we prefer a comment with a five-star review. So, but it's about time and we're going to get all these preseason narratives are going to get established over the next few weeks it's interesting to me Ari is there's been so much hard news there's been you know the transfer rules changing and and all of the player movement there's in the NIL stuff and we got offensive lines sponsored by barbecue joints at Arkansas and at Notre Dame which makes me incredibly happy Uh, there's all this stuff going on and we haven't really established what the narratives are going to be normally we, we talk this out for like six months and I don't think we've done that. So let's let's you and I try to try to set it a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna ask the one question we would ask at each conference media day. So Ari's gonna take three leagues. I'm gonna take three leagues. We're gonna make Mike Oresco and the American very happy by including them in this group. So power six it is power just six. for today, Mike Oresco. But but when you when you hear my question for the American, you'll understand why I'm asking it in this in this venue. So Ari, would would you like to kick it off, or should I? Should I? Do we do this alphabetically, or how, how do we want to do this? Why don't you go first, and then we'll go back and forth. Okay, so I'm going to start with the ACC, and this is one we can ask it to a coach. You can ask it to a variety of coaches. I'm going to ask this one to a to several coaches, and the question I'm going to ask to the ACC: If you listened to Wednesday's show last week with Ari, where we talked about what how we feel about Clemson going forward. And what could happen if Clemson were to lose to Georgia? This this is an important question. And the question of the ACC, and it's not to Dabo, because Dabo's done everything. Like the, Clemson's done everything it needs to do. This is to Manny Diaz. This is to Mac Brown. Maybe to Justin Fuente. Maybe Bronco Mendenhall. Dave Doran. This, this question is to you guys. Are any of you besides Clemson ready to carry some weight? Like carry some weight for the conference, compete for a championship, compete for a playoff berth. Notre Dame came in one year, made the playoff, 
made the ACC championship game. Can one of you do it? Are, are any of you in position to do it if Clemson falters or if Clemson is somehow not as great as it has been, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's say Clemson loses to Georgia and North Carolina has a really good year and is sitting there at 11 and one as the, as the coastal champ playing Clemson in the ACC championship game. Well, that sure would feel like a play in game, wouldn't it? But can North Carolina get there? Can Miami get there? Could anybody else get there? Ari, you can, you can be Mac. Who's going to be on the show on Wednesday, by the way, or you could be Manny or you could be one of the other guys. But how would you answer that question? Well, how I would answer that question is absolutely. We feel really, really good about the teams that we've got coming back. And, uh, you know, but that's not reality, right? I think that big, the conference media days are a nice, uh, way to feel like football seasons around the corner, but I don't know that they're always that informative. Um, so why don't we just answer that question and let's do it. The, the idea is, do you believe that? So the, the crux of your question or the answer is, do you believe that any of the other ACC teams would be playoff contenders this year or built to be a playoff contender? And I think the answer to that question is probably no. And that doesn't mean that they're going to be bad, but we're talking about a bona fide team that um, can beat Clemson even during a down year and put themselves in a position to be viewed by the committee as one of the four best teams in college football. And I think that we're probably still a year or two early on these programs. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the issue is, and, and I think it really boils down to North Carolina and Miami. It, can one of you beat Clemson in an ACC championship scenario? Cause that's, that's where they'd play them. Neither one plays them during the regular season can either. And, and then before you even get to that point, you've got to only have one loss going into that game. So it, it's this is a, a a tall task. Although, if you heard our, our win total show, then you know North Carolina's their over unders ten. You could so, say that North Carolina is probably one win against Clemson away from being viewed in that light, right? So the the, ma- the major question really here is, and I think I said this on the last show, it wouldn't be shocking to me if Clemson did not make the playoff. But if Clemson doesn't make the playoff, that probably means that a team like North Carolina beat Clemson and they lost to Georgia and that removes them from the, from the discussion. So the question is basically what you discussed in the last episode is whether or not you think not only can North Carolina do the unthinkable right now and beat Clemson, but also manage to not lose any other game. And that to me is the mark of an excellent team. And I, and I believe in Mac Brown, I believe in what they're building there, but I don't know if North Carolina's roster is exactly where it would need to be um, in order to accomplish that feat. Now, the main question too here, Andy, is that a down Clemson probably still makes the playoff, right? If if they play Georgia close and then run the table the rest of the way, I think so. The the only scenario where they don't is if like Georgia goes into the SEC championship game eleven and one, and then the SEC West champ is twelve and zero, and Georgia wins the game and they both get in, and that that would knock Clemson out. I would I would assume. You know, assuming in an Ohio State season that's pretty typical, and an Oklahoma season that's pretty typical, and and Oregon's pretty good out west, I don't I don't see where Clemson fits into that. Because if, I want to be I want to be Jordan. abundantly clear here. When I say Clemson's going to have a down year, or I think it wouldn't be surprising if they did. When I say down year, I mean two losses. I mean ten and two. You know, right. I, I think people view that as well. You think they're going to stink this year? Absolutely not. I think no. it's possible that they could lose. Um, a close game to Georgia, who's supposed to have arrived this year. I think that, that that's the baseline expectation um, from people who root for and cover Georgia. And then they lose um, a one-off game in the ACC, maybe a close game, maybe a game like North Carolina. And it's like, I still think that the most likely scenario here, Andy, would be that Clemson is a two-loss team who wins the ACC and the entire conference gets left out. That. And that is possible. The, the Miami scenario is quite a bit tougher. They open with Alabama. So if they don't beat Alabama, I mean, if they beat Alabama, it's a completely different scenario. There's another question to be asked, and maybe this is for a later podcast about those games that sort of recalibrate our expectations for everything. The, the first one of those I can really remember when I became a national writer was the first year, 2008, that I was a national writer, when Clemson was supposed to be really good and Alabama just destroyed Clemson in that season opener. And you're like, oh, wait, 
oh wait, so now Alabama's good. That's that's how this works. And we've seen a few of those. We, we were just talking about that LSU Miami game from a few years ago, where you realize, okay, LSU is probably a little bit better than we thought. But we get those games every once in a while, and, I, and there will probably be one of those games this year, early in the season, where it recalibrates our expectations. I don't think that's going to be Alabama Miami, but one never knows. I mean, if if Miami could hang with Alabama and lose that game, they'd still have to run the table the rest of the way, which means they have to beat North Carolina. You know, they, they have to beat NC State, Pitt, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and they would have to beat Clemson in the ACC championship game. But they could make it like that, I guess, but that would be no margin for error. I mean, we're assuming they're going to lose to Alabama. They would have to rip off 12 wins in a row after that to make the playoff, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that in a few years, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but maybe the following year, that one of those three teams might have a chance. One of those two teams, what we're talking about, Virginia Tech in there, I think Virginia Tech is so far off from this discussion, they shouldn't even be included. Well, well Florida State may be able to rejoin it later, right, but right. not this year. Yeah, because um, I do think that the ACC is certainly interesting in that there seems to be three or four transitioning teams that are headed in the right direction right behind Clemson. And Clemson, um, though recruiting at a very high level right now, you know, still seems to be the team to beat in that conference. I still think there's plenty of opportunity for teams in that conference to be very good. And we're like two or three years away from the ACC being very, very bad to the ACC maybe being one of the top two or three conferences in college football if BC gets it on track, if North Carolina gets it on track, Florida State gets back to being who they're supposed to be, North Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in there with coaches that seem to be heading in the right direction. And, you know, it's going to be a harder thing to maintain. I think that you can – you know, make the case that uh, Clemson is not as far away from the rest of their conference as Ohio State is in the Big Ten anymore. We'll be right back after these words. All right, all right. Let's let's move back to another question. What is your uh, what is your question for Big Ten Media Day? You get one question and one question only if you if you head to the the Big Ten Media Days. What are you asking? I was going to I was thinking about starting the podcast with this Andy but I didn't know if it was too cliché. But I think the answer here is to Jim Harbaugh, what is a successful season for Michigan? Ooh, that is a good I because we know what's a successful financial season for Jim Harbaugh. Like his incentives are are pretty clear and pretty hard to meet. So Now, okay. This is you're asking Harbaugh this. Are we asking what keeps his job or are we asking what's considered successful or is that the same thing? I think they're kind of intertwined. And if you're asking Harbaugh, you're not going to get a legitimate answer no matter how you or what you ask. But I think that that is the number one you know, discussion right now in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan is the team that's most uh, in a transition. I think you can make a case that Penn State is too. Um, you know, having had a pretty big disaster of a season last year, but also seemed primed to be pretty good this year. But Michigan is such a hard thing to figure out, right? I mean, uh, is eight and four good after last year? Is ten and two the expectation? Do they have to compete with Ohio State? Like, what is it that? Well, why don't you just ask it this way? What does Michigan have to do for Jim Harbaugh to keep his job? Yeah, I, I think that's a legitimate question, and I'm not really sure how to answer it either because there's a couple different ways the season can go that could be considered successful, and a couple that that can be considered bad you know the the team that they've besides Ohio State that they seem to have trouble competing with is Wisconsin of late like I would love to see them be competitive against Wisconsin I feel like that would that would help don't lose to Michigan State losing to Michigan State last year was a killer and I I do think Michigan State's going to be better I I think Mel Tucker is is doing some good stuff there they have a a three-game run of at Michigan State Indiana at home at Penn State that probably decides this thing before you even get to the Ohio State game. You know, that that that's the that's the part that I think you know, we keep talking about what do they do against Ohio State. It may not matter at that point because if you lose all three of those and you've not and you've lost to Wisconsin, I'm not sure it really matters after that cuz you're probably not going to beat Ohio State. If you can't if you can't win against any of those three, you're not going to beat Ohio State. But I think there's a very distinct possibility 
given what we've seen with those three programs, that, I mean, shoot, they got Northwestern before that. That could be a four-game losing streak if things go wrong. Or, you know, here, wait, let me let me put it to you differently. What if they're what if they're eight and three heading into Ohio State, and it is just the same embarrassment it has been the last couple well, of years? It's funny that you bring that up because I was going to ask you this question: What's a better season for Michigan? Ten and two with a fifty-six to fourteen loss to Ohio State, or six and six and a close win over Ohio State? I think the one with the win over Ohio State, as weird as that sounds, uh, because there's such psychological damage that has been done. Like I was at the 2018 game, obviously you were too. That's the one I feel like broke Michigan fan the Michigan fan base's back. Like that's the one where they just said, "What are we even doing here?" Because they came in favored. That team was good that season. That was a good team. It had a lot of draft picks on it, and they just got demolished and so anything that proves they can hang with Ohio State but here's the problem a team that can hang with Ohio State can beat Wisconsin can beat Michigan State can beat Northwestern can beat Indiana can beat Penn should State. Be, should beat all those teams right now might lose one or two of those but should not lose all of those the Michigan we saw last year will lose all of those and they can't they just can't do that right Michigan's schedule is pretty tough because the two non-conference yeah. games against the, the two of the premier... Washington's going to be good. Washington's pretty good. The two premier MAC teams, which are supposed to be the sleeper games. Rutgers is improving. Then you got back-to-back road trips against Wisconsin-Nebraska, then home against a tough Northwestern team at Michigan State for a rivalry. Then Indiana's better. Penn State, the only like real game that are gimmies, I guess, or the three gimme, gimme games would, in theory, be the two MAC opponents and then maybe at Maryland. But everybody else but do, is pretty do we good. Even Maryland know if that Maryland's good. a gimme? <laughs> and at yeah. Maryland is going to be a tough game in November because they've got a lot of offensive skills. So, you know, to me, I think a successful season, uh, if I were a Michigan fan, would be 9-3 and three and a close loss to Ohio State. I think that would be fair. But I don't know if they're in a position where fans are expecting a huge turnaround or something that makes you feel like Harbaugh's got it back under control because the weirdest thing about this Michigan dynamic is – they gave this new contract to Mich- uh, to Jim Harbaugh, and I've read a lot of things and heard a lot of discussion about this is win-now mode, and it's just like if you're going to restru- restructure your staff and you're going to give the guy an extension or, or put him in a position where he can keep his job at a lesser salary, don't you still feel like you have to give him a few years to get things back on track? Because if Michigan is thinking 10-win season or bust this year, I think it's going to be a really tough situation for them because the schedule doesn't present it, present itself that way. You've got a lot of improved teams on this schedule, um, and it's not an easy schedule at all. Oh, it is It's. It is not. I mean, I. it's It's weird because I knew who they played. I, I just – I didn't think – I guess I didn't remember the order. But the, the Northwestern Michigan State, Indiana, Penn State, that's a rough – rough stretch and then if nebraska let's say nebraska is better like that's not a gimme i just i just don't know where you find nine wins unless they are significantly better and if they are significantly better then great then the changes he made on staff worked and you've got a much cheaper jim harbaugh going forward that that may be in position to get better and be competitive in the big 10 if they can squeeze nine wins out of this schedule I think you can say that. Even if they lose to Ohio State by a lot, I think you can say that. So they can beat Western Michigan. They could, in theory, beat Washington. But I'm going to go to the games that they should win. Okay. Without being criticized uh, for losing. I mean, that makes no sense. The games that they should win where they would be criticized for losing. Western Michigan, right. Northern Illinois, Rutgers, Rutgers Northwestern, Nebraska. Whoa, Northwestern? The they defending should, Big Ten West champs? I think they should be Northwestern. You don't think so? Northwestern's been a better For Michigan program. to be pursu- perceived as on track. In the last year? They should, yes. It's not about they should. It's about will they. I think Nebraska, you said Nebraska, right? They should beat Nebraska, yes. So which game do you think is tougher on the schedule? A road trip to Nebraska or at home against Northwestern? Based on what we've seen the last few years or uh, at home against Northwestern? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is – you would say Indiana and Maryland, too, 
Um, but I don't know. say Indiana, I know, though. Indiana's been really I know, good. I know. I don't know if you can squeeze eight, nine wins out of the schedule. And if they get to that point, then, you know, he earned another year. But That's what I'm saying. If, if, it's, if they win nine games, you give him another year. If, like, if the, this is a hard schedule. Yeah, if the test of success is 10 wins this year, then that's irrational. No, I, I, I agree. Especially given the season they had last year. And I realize you've made a lot of changes, but... <laughs> that's asking a lot. So, and, and look, Harbaugh knows the situation he's in. He negotiated this deal himself. We know, we know where it's at. It, if it feels like they're not ready, they'll pull the ripcord and, and they'll get somebody else. What do you think that Michigan's administration is viewing this season as? Is he in a winner? Go- is this a guy that could be fired in October if things go off the rail? I don't know because it, it will it'll be interesting to see how Ward Manuel handles that because before, you know, previously, we're Michigan. We don't do that. We don't fire coaches in November. And but I, I think that I think they're done with that. I mean, they just negotiated a deal where essentially they could have fired him last year and paid eight million dollars or they could fire him this year and pay him the four million in salary plus an eight million uh, four million dollar buyout. So the same price as if they'd fired him last year. I think that was for a reason. I think that was basically you have this year or you're done. That's a really tough situation to put somebody in. I, I don't I don't understand the idea of you can stay, but you have one more year when problems in college football aren't solved in six months. I, But it was the first like major staff change. I mean, I realize he's changed offensive coordinators, but maybe that's the, the rationale behind it. Or maybe they just didn't feel like they had. But a, you want to give a, a, a new staff a, a chance to cook, don't you? Not when it's the same head coach. I think part of the problem here is that Michigan, as a team last year, gave up. And it's one thing to lose, and it's one thing to not meet expectations. But there were a few games on the on the schedule last year. I think the Wisconsin game is the one that really rings true to me, where they just laid down and took it. And right. And if that happens again this year against Wisconsin in Madison. You, I think you probably have your answer at that point. You think that October 2nd is kind of the make-or-break game where you kind of have your answer of whether or not things are going to be going well? I think you're going to know what they are at that point. Yeah. If they're competitive against Wisconsin, then great. That, that Then feel good about it. But if they are as non-competitive as they've been the last couple years against Wisconsin, then no. Just just give, as as... My friend Braden Gall says that game should be for the Upper Peninsula, like the winner should get the Upper Peninsula. Just give it to Wisconsin. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's move on. Our only group of five question here, but it's, it's like I said, it will make sense in the context of the discussions we're having here. Can Cincinnati, with this schedule, this year, 2021, this particular schedule, be in the mix to make the college football playoff. Can I just say Ari's no? Calling it up. Can I just say no? Here's, you don't have to say, well, li- listen, they play Indiana, they play Notre Dame. Let me, let me throw this at you. What if Notre Dame wins every other game? What if Indiana win, you know, is, is second place in the Big Ten East to Ohio State and wins nine games? What if they beat them both and then they go undefeated in the in the American. This is a similar scenario schedule wise to Houston in 2016. Remember Houston beat Oklahoma early in the season. Yep. But they didn't. They, they couldn't run the table in the American. They lost to, to Navy and SMU. But had they run the table in the American, I don't know. They would have made the playoff that year. But it would have been a really interesting discussion because they'd beaten a Power Five champ. Like I don't know that either one. Obviously. Notre Dame can't play for a conference championship, but if they lose to Cincinnati but are 11-1, I don't think they're going to be, but let's say they are, and let's say that Indiana's good. Like, what happens at that point? Because I do think that would be, especially given the quality of of some of the other teams in the American, like we think UCF's going to be good. Tulsa's been good. You know, Houston could be very good this year given given all they, they bring back. Are they in the discussion at that point? They have to be undefeated. You have to be 12 and others. No, losing doesn't count. But 
Or I mean, they have to be 13 and 0 because you have to win the American Championship. In the discussion is different than do they have a real chance? They were in discussion last year, right? Um, no, but really in the like re- a real chance. And I I think it had the thing is by the way these are consecutive road games they have a, a an open date in between, but they're at Indiana September 18th. They're at Notre Dame October 2nd. If both those teams are really good, and they go undefeated in the American. I think they're a legit playoff contender. I think that we do this every year and um, you can create the perfect scenarios. If this thing happens and this thing happens and everything falls perfectly into place. They're they're probably not going to go undefeated. It's a very hard schedule. Yeah, I think SMU has to be good. I think SMU has to be really, really good in that game November 20th. Um, at home in Cincinnati needs to be against two unbeaten teams or one unbeaten team and one one loss team. And they would have to beat Indiana and Notre Dame convincingly. And then there would have to be a spot open where you have Clemson losing to Georgia um, and then a team and then losing to another team and then beating the other and, and then going on and winning the uh, ACC. So you have a two loss ACC. Chance. I think that everything would have to fall perfectly into place for Cincinnati to get it to do. I mean, Notre Dame would have to be a one-loss team that only lost to Cincinnati, I think. And they would have to beat Indiana handily. They'd have to win a – because you need that late November well, and they need, showdown. And they need Indiana to be good. And That's they would the need other, Indiana to be part. good. And you'd want that SMU game to be a nationally televised game that everybody's watching to see if Cincinnati can can complete the thing. And then, of course, you'd have to have two Power 5 teams, I think, or two Power 5 conferences be two-loss teams. I think that's the only way that this can happen until the the playoff is expanded. Yeah, I, I'm just glad because Cincinnati is is coming off the season where it was undefeated. There were questions about whether it should be a legitimate playoff contender. It played really well. Didn't win the the game against Georgia in the Peach Bowl, but played well in that game. And they have two really good non conference opponents on the schedule because that's what I always say. You know, like with UCF those years, their non conference schedule was not good. Like. They were playing Georgia Tech, North Carolina when North Carolina wasn't that good. Like it wasn't, it wasn't good enough to even talk about. But the thing is, if Notre Dame is really good and Indiana is really good, it might be good enough to talk about. This is this is more similar to that Houston year. But the same thing could happen. I mean, you could lose to UCF and, and Navy or UCF and SMU, and then you're done. Yeah, yeah, I. I- just think that the the odds of this happening are very very low and listen Cincinnati might be a very good football team but they would need to not only take care of their end of the bargain but the other teams on the schedule would have to take right. care of theirs so you, and, you would and need- that's that's the difference that's that's the difference with the 12 team playoff they won't have to rely on some non-conference opponent to be great that year which is a complete crapshoot because you scheduled these games years ago yeah it's like the thing too is this scenario, and let me t- let me say this. So your your scenario is that Notre Dame uh, loses its only game to Indiana, or I mean to Cincinnati, and Indiana is a pretty good team. But let's say we're at the end of October, and all of that played out. Notre Dame only has one loss. They're very very good in the eyes of the committee, and then Notre Dame f- loses its last two games. Does Cincinnati need Notre Dame at that point, or do they only need to get to a certain point into this season? being viewed a certain way in order to kind of absorb that thought process. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know if I Notre Dame they, has to I go all the way to be, with it, do they? They needed to be pitted against Notre Dame for a playoff berth, which means Notre Dame's got to be 11-1. and one. Now, if that happens, that means Notre Dame has beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten USC. They've beaten North Carolina. So North Carolina, Notre Dame would be really good and then be considered really good there. Yeah, Florida so, State, Wisconsin... Uh, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, USC, North. They've got North Carolina this year. I just realized that. Uh, so, yeah, they've maybe, got a pretty tough schedule. So, I guess maybe, maybe. Well, we'll we'll have to see. It, it'll be an interesting discussion to have. Cincinnati would have to take care of business on the field. Like that. That's the thing. We are assuming that they beat Indiana and Notre Dame on the road. That's probably not going to happen. Like, yeah, realistically, that's probably not going to happen. I mean, but I think if it, it did, could, if Cincinnati is really, really good this year, I think Cincinnati could have played with Notre Dame last year. I think Cincinnati can play with Notre Dame this year, too. Yeah, because this year's Notre Dame is not last year's Notre Dame, but still pretty good. So and they should be able to yeah, play with Indiana. 
I think so. I think so. They'll probably be favorites in that game, don't you think? They might be. We're going to have to see Indiana first. Indiana is one of those teams that if you look at last year, they got some bounces that went their way. We'll see if that happens again. Uh, Indiana's defense has really carried them over the last couple of years. Their, their offense needs to be considerably better, and it's not just whether Michael Penix is healthy. they got to be able to run the ball. And, and maybe you know getting Stephen Carr from USC, maybe they do that. But, yeah, I could see Cincinnati beating them. Absolutely. Like, I, I wouldn't be talking about this if I didn't think Cincinnati I think could Cincinnati could, be, could win both of those games. I think that's reasonable. I really do. Well, it, it's going to be a fun late September, early October talking about this because if they do – then you really do need to consider them in that mix. And this is what I'm going to miss during when the playoff expands, by the way. I'm going to miss, miss this. That much. I'm not going to miss it that much because it makes my head hurt to, to make these scenarios up. So, But if the scenario your, came to life, though. Oh, it'd be crazy. It'd be amazing. It, it has. I mean, that, the problem is, like, Houston loses to SMU, which, would, which had been terrible. Like, that's, that's so anticlimactic. I don't know. I'd rather just see him get a chance to play in the playoff. Big 12, what's your question? Okay. Um, Coach Sarkeesian, as you... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> that you think I it knew, was going to be I anything else? I knew it else? would be to him. I knew you weren't asking Lincoln Riley a question. I knew you weren't asking Matt Wells a question. As you take over at the University of Texas and you see the amount of talent on this team... Um, what do you think it was in the past that might have prevented them from getting to where they should be or where they could be? And what do you think your biggest job is in terms of changing things at Texas in order to accomplish uh, what the potential on that roster implies uh, moving forward? I think that that's a great question. And like, like I said earlier, we're going to have Mac Brown on the show on Wednesday. I don't think he would answer that question because he's, he's very diplomatic and he's very respectful of Texas and he's not, he's just not going to go there, but I would love to give Mac Brown, Charlie Strong, and Tom Herman a truth serum and just sit them in a room and say, okay, what outside of your purview caused you issues while you were there? Because I just want to know, because you keep hearing all these too many cooks in the kitchen. No, no, specifics. I want to hear specifics. Why, it, why is it so much harder there when you have seemingly every potential resource? Because I, I want specifics too, and you can't ask a, a coach a question at a podium uh, in that setting and do it. But we're on, we're having a podcast, we're having fun. Um, yeah, you would never get you would never get an answer in that scenario because coaches are afraid of disparaging the previous regime, right or wrong. But we've talked about this at length on this podcast, and it's a very very interesting dynamic to me. What is it specifically? Because Spe- this is the you know it's funny. I'm going to tell you a funny story, Andy. At the opening, I was on the sideline with Antonio Morales and Bruce Feldman, and we had the debate that you and I had between which team in the Big 12 has the highest ste- highest ceiling, uh, Oklahoma or Texas. And I'm the only person who said Texas, and they were laughing at me, and they agreed with you. And Antonio made this point. Smart that, guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, Antonio made this point that both of them reached their peak in the early 2000s, and Oklahoma was more successful, even though Texas has won a national title more recently. And I'm trying to under, and and when I ask anybody, what is it specifically that makes you think that besides history or besides um, what Oklahoma is doing right now, that makes you say that Texas can't match that or exceed that? Nobody has a distinct answer as to what is the problem and why it can't be achieved. Because on the surface, in this argument, Texas has more resources and has more access to players and is the state school of the most talent rich state in the country. And I'm trying to figure out what it Florida's is. Florida's the most talent rich state in the country, but go on. I don't know if that, if the stats match up with that anymore. There's more, there's just more people in Texas. It's not a, I think there's more there. I mean, go look it up. I'll look it up next time you're talking, but I think that okay. there's more blue chip prospects in the state of Texas. than there are, there are in Florida right now. Oh, I'm, I'm worried about NFL players. I want I want to know who actually winds up being real good. Yeah, I mean that's a good discussion. I don't know the answers uh, off the top of my head, but even even if Florida and Texas were one A and one B, and Florida was one A, what is it specifically 
about this debate? Because I, I don't even know if your answer to that, it doesn't satisfy me. Like, I'm okay being no, wrong. There, I'm there, fine there being wrong, but I want to be, I want to know why I'm wrong and nobody can explain there are, it to me. There are specifics, but no one will reveal them publicly. No one will say it's this person or these people who get in the way, who, who cause problems or who, you know, make my life difficult or make my job difficult or, you know, it's been the administration. I, I don't, like... Christelle Connie ran TCU's athletic department and Gary Patterson did just fine. So it's, it's not like he doesn't know how to run an administration that includes a winning football program. So because on the surface, if you took, if you, if you took Texas and Oklahoma's labels off and you put team a and team B and you listed all the pros and cons about both of those programs, and Texas is team A and, te- and Oklahoma was team B, I think most people, without knowing who we're talking about specifically, would pick team A. So well, I'm trying to figure out what the difference is. Well, the difference is, is everybody pulls in the same direction in Oklahoma. I know, but what like, is... That's clear. So They're what, aligned. But, but here's the thing. People said the same thing about Alabama prior to Nick Saban getting there that they said about Texas over the last 15 years. And all it takes is the right person to get everyone pulling in the right direction. Yeah. I don't know if Sark's that person. We'll find out. But the the same stuff, because I remember reading some of the columns after Mike Shula was was fired. It was like, you know, stay away, coaches. You don't want to go here. There's, There's too many cooks in the kitchen and, you know, too much pressure, too much this, too much that. All it took was the right person. Yeah. It's just so, it's like the most interesting thing to me because the hardest part, the the most difficult part about being a head coach is getting the roster where you need it to be to compete. And Texas has done the hardest part. Right. Texas just doesn't develop them very well. And yeah, what's Sark's number one thing? You go into that building right now. What is step one to changing things? What is the first most important task that you have as the new head coach to make Texas run the way it's supposed to run? Make some NFL players. Because that 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 also kind of solves itself because if you're making NFL good, players, yeah. they're they're playing well on the field. It's 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 really development of of the players they've got. They've they've got to turn them into NFL draft picks. And that's what Texas hasn't been doing. It doesn't mean it's easy to do. See, I'm with the Texas Oklahoma thing, I think their ceilings are equal. Like they both could be. Alabama style dominant with the right person in place. And and Oklahoma has been. Like Oklahoma had Bud Wilkinson. They didn't lose a game for like four years, three, four years. So it's not like you can't do the same things there. It's just that Texas is farther away from its ceiling than Oklahoma is. Oklahoma has been able to stay relatively close to its ceiling, though it's not there yet, because the ceiling for Oklahoma is year in year out national title contender but the but Texas can have the same ceiling i i say oklahoma is a better job right now cuz history tells us it is all it takes is the right person to put texas on that level yeah it just it's like unsolved mysteries college football edition well i mean mac put them on that level mac did it it it's hard to sustain that why you know, why? It's hard It's hard for anyone to sustain it. No, no, but why is Who? it? Texas is like the most perfectly situated college football program in the country. From a geography standpoint, from a, a fan interest standpoint, a money standpoint, they're in a city that's a city but also a college town. I mean, you, you can't come up with better circumstances than what Texas lit. That should be the easiest job in the country to maintain. It doesn't make any sense. It's frustrating. And that's why I it's, keep saying... It's hard because Oklahoma's in your way. But Oklahoma should be secondary in this discussion. But they're not. Because Michigan was in Ohio State's way during the entire 90s, but Ohio State was more uh, positioned from a geographical standpoint and everything else that involved in building a college program, and it changed. There's like well, no I mean, reason we really why Oklahoma go all should the be... way back to Oklahoma being willing to recruit black players before Texas was? No, no, I, I know, mean, I know, I know, I know. The, his, the history has something to do with it. I mean, yeah, like, and also there's enough players in that state to sustain an entire conference. So both teams should be very, very good at the same time. And 
it's not just losing to Oklahoma. That's the thing that's so crazy about this. Actually, Texas has fared very well against Oklahoma in the rivalry games. It's right. just Te- Texas doesn't play well in the games that it should play well. Like Texas can't beat TCU right now. It that blows my mind change. that this team doesn't made the playoff one time. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't I'm blow my mind because the- because they haven't been very good in any of this time it, it, since the playoff started. It, Mac would have made the playoff. Those Mac years, if there had been a four-team playoff, they'd have been in the mix for it almost every year. Now, Oklahoma would have made it a lot of those years, and Texas wouldn't have. But, I mean, they're certainly in, in 05 and 09. I think they would have been in an 08. You know, there, there are other years that they would have been either right on it or, or in there. So, Mac did it. It just couldn't, he just couldn't sustain it. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah, and Sark has a has a really tough job to do. And, you know, I know that he was at Alabama and he was a wizard of offense last year, but, you know, his track record of being a head coach is good but not great. And now he's putting in a position now where he has to, you know, get Texas to the next level. And what should be a very easy transition or what seems to be an easy transition is maybe one of the toughest asks of all college football right now. You know, bringing Texas back has become a running joke. I fall into the trap every year. Everyone makes fun of me. Oh boy, here we go, you know? And it's just it's like all right there for the taking, but you do have to have the right guy to do it. And I'm very curious to see if he is that right guy. Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough job and and the problem is Oklahoma's got a really good coach right now. You know, and Oklahoma's yeah. chosen very well when they've hired coaches and their quarterback uh, factory, which is which yeah. is is crucial, obviously. Yeah, so it's it's going to be a tough job for Sark, but it's one of those, if if he can do offensively what he was doing in Alabama, Texas will be fine. Texas will come around. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Let's go to my question for the SEC, and it is to Kirby Smart. <laughs> is this the year? <laughs> doing it? Is this the year? Is this it? Yeah, so I guess my question uh, in the Big Twelve should have just been: Is Texas back? Uh, and now, and, and, and <laughs> no, not. But they're not bad. We don't. We don't expect them to be back this year. We expect Oklahoma to be really good this year. So we don't. But but with Georgia, this is the year. It feels like the the pieces are coming together. Uh, the circumstances feel the best for them. You know, you've got Florida had a really good team last year. They lose a lot, so the East feels pretty open for you. You don't have to play Alabama. You don't have to play this, this really good Texas A&M roster that they've put together. You don't have to play LSU and the roster they have. Auburn just went through a coaching change. They may not be as good as they're going to be under Brian Harson. So this might be a good year to catch them. And you've been really good against Auburn in the last few years anyway, but it feels like they have everything kind of set up their way you got a game against Clemson that you don't even have to win if you want to make the playoff. That can that can kind of tell you where you're at. Yeah, it looks like to me, I mean, it still might end up, you know, Alabama's still going to be waiting for them, you know. So as much as a regular season schedule uh, shapes up to but, be in a good spot, they still have to beat Alabama, especially considering the fact they've got to play Clemson first. But um, it, ain't this, it ain't last year's Alabama that they have to yeah, beat. Yeah, yeah, no. I guess the question here is how much faith do you have in their quarterback? And I don't know. He looked like he understood the offense very well and and was very confident by the end of the season. I I thought he did a good job as a freshman at USC. You know, we didn't get to see anything beyond that because he got hurt in the the season opener as a sophomore. So I I think this sets up really well for them. And the the other piece of it is, you know, Alabama may be waiting for them at the end, but the the SEC West – is going to be a bloodbath to get through, you know, and, and Alabama has to play Florida too. So Alabama would have to, you know, is going to have to go through. They've got Miami to start. Then they've got, they've got Florida. They've got LSU, got Texas A&M. They've got Auburn, a better Mississippi state. And we talked, Ole Miss is, is a scary team for anybody. They have all of that to get through with one loss before they would get to Georgia to be in position to, to make the playoff. That's pretty tough. And but if Georgia gets what, the SEC championship and is undefeated and 
Alabama has one loss. They can lose. They can lose and get in. So there there are scenarios where you can put yourself in a position uh, to make the playoff this year. And I feel like Georgia, for as well as they've recruited, is kind of in that Texas realm of just like why – isn't stuff working, you know, and part of the but reason it, why is because, but it is working pretty much. I mean, they're, they're a second and 26 crazy miracle play away from having a national title in the last five years. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they should have, should have beaten Alabama in 2018. That's, that's on Kirby losing that game. They should have won that game in the SEC championship game should have gone to the playoff. Uh, 19, that was well. You want to put that one on on them for for choosing Jake Fromm and not Justin Fields? You can. I, I don't know that that Justin Fields would have been very good in that offense either. So I think that. But you also put that on Kirby because he's the one who selected the offensive coordinator that year. You know, he's the one who promoted James Coley instead of hiring somebody different. So that's the part that can Kirby learn those lessons? And I mean, you look, and, and I've made this this point before, but. Nick Saban had been a coach for a long time before he won a national title. I've been a head coach for a long time before he won a national title at LSU. You know, he, he had that one year at Toledo where he was really good. Then he went back to the NFL and then he was the head coach at, at Michigan state for five years. And then he'd been the head coach at LSU for three years before he won the first national title. Kirby is in year six as a head coach. So he's now in, into that zone. You know, urban Meyer was in year six, as a head coach when he won his first national title. Yeah. Uh, it just might just be a bad circumstance of having to play in the same conference as Alabama, but Georgia has not played to the level in the, in the last few years that their uh, talent would suggest that they play to. And I think that the number one argument or the number one reason that you could point to that is complete mismanagement of the quarterback position. And I guess that's like a revisionist history type of thing of whether if, if they don't let Justin's fields walk, how good are they? You know, do they beat Alabama last year when they're winning at halftime? All the things that you can come up with. But, you know, you have yourself in a position right now where your your season is complete or your program is coming to a head this season. And you have to rely on a transfer quarterback who didn't start the first half of last year and, you know, was injured. And you're not necessarily sure if he's the guy and he has to absolutely be the guy this year for them to get it done. And that's just not a position where things are, you know, and it's ironic because Justin Fields is the criticism, right? But you don't want to rely on a transfer quarterback at this at this level. And Georgia has back-to-back five-star quarterbacks coming in. And, you know, things seem to be headed in the right direction in the future. But it's kind of like win now with a transfer quarterback. Well, I mean, JT Daniels, though, it was a five-star quarterback. He He lost his job to a guy who we think is going to be a potential first-round draft pick next year. Like, I don't really feel like he's your typical transferred out because he's no good. Like, he's just not going to be able to play. Like, and remember, Ohio State made the playoff two years in a row with a transfer quarterback, Ari. Justin Fields also was a transfer quarterback. I know. Justin Fields is a unicorn in the transfer quarterback market. That, this he's, is true. He's not the Russell norm Wilson there. was a unicorn. Yeah. I, I know. That doesn't I, happen. And but, it, it but takes the a place. Daniels thing is 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 probably the same thing. I mean, or could could be the same thing. Same level of recruit as Justin. But Fields. when Justin Fields was a recruit, or I mean, a tr- on the transfer market, he was a no doubt about it star. Like JT, yeah, JT Daniels. Daniels is a little bit different, coming off an injury, and you're like, well, okay, why don't they? Why don't they say they want to have him instead of Keaton Slovis? And like it, Justin Fields may, is probably the highest highest profile transfer in the history of transfers like you're right about who's the best transfer of all time well highest ranked recruit i'm just saying like which player turned out to be the best i'm sure there's one in there that that you'll say and then i'll be like oh i forgot about no it's either justin fields or russell wilson yeah i mean russell wilson and, and even then he wasn't that great in his last year at wisconsin was he he was very good. In I can't, I can't remember. I can't remember what his stats. He led were. them. He led them to the Big Ten title in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> he was very, very. Sometimes good. I feel like I'm he losing lo- my mind. Lo- lost it. Lost an overtime duel to Kirk Cousins when when they hit a hail mary. No, I know. But when 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 Russell Wilson was Wisconsin's quarterback, 
Did people view him? I think people view Russell Wilson at Wisconsin differently now as a result of what he became, not because of how great he was. Only because people weren't watching him at NC State. Anybody who watched him at NC State was like, how in the hell did NC State let this guy leave? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's a quarterback that was ready made. And I don't know if I'd put JT Daniels in that discussion, but if JT Daniels comes out and leads this team to the SEC championship, then maybe that changes your viewpoint on on this guy. And it's funny because Keaton Slovis at USC has like throwing motion issues. So it'll be very interesting too to see how that pans out because it's like he didn't lose to lose out the job to Jake Fromm. And, and maybe Ke- Keaton Slovis will turn out to be a first-round pick like you just said, but I think he might not. So, you know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, we and we've had Antonio on to talk about Keaton Slovis's comeback and – and the mechanic stuff that he's had to fix. And yeah, it's a, it, it is going to be an interesting, there, there will be a lot of revisionist history, I think on that decision as well. If JT Daniels winds up being very good and leading Georgia to an sec title or to, to the playoff. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, that might be, that might be the end of clay Helton. <laughs> if that's the case, I mean, that may be a decision that gets thrown back in clay Helton's face, just like the Justin Fields decision gets thrown back in Kirby smarts face. Yeah, so, uh, there's there's a lot of tentacles in, in this one. Let's go to the Pac-12. Speaking of of USC, what is your one question in the Pac-12? Ari is Texas back? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's just going to ask it to everybody. <laughs> I, I want to know please, if Texas is back, <laughs> and I want to know everyone uh, in the room. I, it's a survey. We just want to know. Uh, I'm asking every coach on the Power Five: Is Texas back? No. My question is why do five-star prospects from the West Coast continually leave the footprint of the conference. And what does the Pac-12 like have win to do to become titles a, and become first-round draft picks? And, uh, and then I guess the second half of that question would be: What does the Pac-12 have to do to stop that? Oregon needs to make the playoff, and Kayvon Thibodeau needs to be the number one draft pick because that would help. That'd USC, be a great start. USC did a tremendous job uh, in the 2021 cycle. Um, and I think they got the number one player in California at three different positions, including the number one player in the country. So it got a lot better last year. But just what happened with JT Tuim Allow, the two Seattle prospects who went to Ohio State, there's a lot of, of West Coast talent that should be playing at Washington, that should be playing at Arizona State and you know USC and UCLA. And there's a lot of, of talent leaving. It's bleeding out of the West Coast. And I think a, a good question or would be – or you know, why are there less blue chip prospects in the state of California in general when I guess the census just proved that people actually aren't leaving California. Um, but what do you have to do? Like as a conference, what, what does the leadership have to do? What, what is, um, is the time zone thing? Is it the lack of passion for football? Like what is it that makes it less appealing to play on the West coast when there are a lot of really, really good players who play high school football there? I just think it comes down to, can you, become a first round draft pick can you compete for national titles and right now no one in the Pac-12 can say they can because they haven't made the playoffs since 2016 so the league seems entirely uncompetitive and and you can put that all on the shoulders of the Pac-12's management and and you can say it's just Larry Scott and he screwed up and you're glad he's gone but the ADs and the presidents of the Pac-12 could have called Larry into a room in 2018 and said, Larry, you're going to push for playoff expansion right now. Yeah. Like that is now your job. That is your only job. You know, it's just USC and Oregon are attractive schools, you know, and I, and and I'm telling you if, if Oregon wins the league, goes to the playoff and Kayvon Thibodeau is a top five draft pick, that's proof of concept for them. That will help. I mean, they're already recruiting at a very high level. Uh, I mean, you're going to see with Oregon and Ohio State, we're going to get a sense of where Oregon is relative to that kind of team, relative to that level of program. We will see in Columbus how close they are. And we don't know. But let's say they're competitive. And let's say they they can make the playoff this year. And Kayvon Thibodeau is a top five draft pick. Mario Cristobal then has all the ammunition he needs. Yeah, and he's then, doing a great then job. Then, if you're already, a West yeah. Coast guy, you might you might decide to go to Eugene instead of Tuscaloosa. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, that, I that's the thing. Like, and and remember, Eugene's not L.A. Like, if you're going to go to Eugene, you may as well go to Tuscaloosa. 
Right. You're still getting on a plane. Yeah. It's just it's just such a hard thing because you need draft picks to get draft picks. You know, and I guess you start off by turning three-star prospects into first-round picks, but it's hard. It's well, hard, man. But but I mean, Oregon I, has Oregon will have turned five stars into first-round picks. I mean, that Penesul was a was a five-star, I believe, and he's a, a top 10 pick. Kayvon Thibodeau was the number one overall recruit in the country, and he's probably going to be a first-round pick. And, and if things go well this year, he could be a top five, top 10 pick. You do that, well, that's what Alabama does. That's what Clemson does. So I mean, if, you, if you prove yeah. you can do that, then yeah, they'll, they'll go to you. Oregon signed the number six overall class last year. Um, nationally and they did it by you know signing i think 10 top 100 players or or 10 top 150 players and it was the best class in program history so it seems like cristobal is building something and the last piece of that is um actually turning those players into really good uh football players and then a really good team and then into draft picks and then you you get the ball rolling a little bit but you know, I'm just talking about like even just not even just Oregon, but like the Washingtons of the world. It's like Washington was in the playoff. What was it, 2016? Yeah. And they had three top 10 national players in Seattle this year, and only one went there. And it's just like they, it was like handed to them in, handed to them, and they still couldn't get it done. And it's just like, well, no, no reason the Pac 12 is not very good is because of that example. And it's just there. There's worse places to go to school than those Pac-12 schools. Listen, those are some great places to go. You're absolutely right. Like, uh, I retweeted a photo of Jed Fish sitting in his pool, mm-hmm. talking about why would you not want to come here and 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 just talked about your theory of if you're Arizona or you're Arizona State, why don't you just offer every good offensive lineman and defensive lineman in the Midwest? Hey, it doesn't get cold here. Come live here for four years <laughs> like it's a it's a legitimate recruiting pitch and or you can be in LA or you can be in the Bay Area and and especially like if you're Cal or UCLA or your USC or Stanford uh, Stanford is, is its own animal and it has done a very good job recruiting given that it has a much more limited pool to draw from but you can say you know Washington same thing these are amazing schools in amazing places like, yeah you should be able to sell it no, the, but the, you gotta you gotta be able to sell. You can be a first round draft pick, and you can compete for national championships. And right now, they can't sell both of those things. Yeah. Well, the problem, I guess, Andy, is that people don't want to go on a four year vacation. They want to go to a place that'll allow them to buy a, a property in those places and live there whenever they want. So, you know, it's it's uh it's just a it's like to me that is the missing piece between Pac twelve competitive football and Pac-12 being fifth in the power five by a long shot. And, you know, a lot of schools and a lot of conferences are just dealing with uh, bad geography. Like in the Big Ten right now, the top six classes in the 2022 cycle are all on the east side. Why? Because those are traditional programs with better geography. And, like, the Pac-12 has great geography, you know, and it's just not – it's still not kind of a straight line from Pac-12 – footprint to pack 12 football programs it's just not right now so but it can be again i'm telling you right now if, if oregon's good this year if oregon can make the playoff the way they're recruiting that's proof of concept whether usc can do it again is another question it may not be with this staff they may have to make a change to make that happen but you put the right person at usc and you can absolutely do that there it's right. possible it's doable. You know, those are those are the two right now where I feel like it, you can make it happen. And if you do, then I I think those guys stay or at least I think the, those two schools are in their finalists along with Alabama, Ohio State and Clemson. Right. So it's it's possible but they they have to give those those recruits some proof of concept and so uh I hate to put it all on you Mario Cristobal but you may have to be the guy who does it. Yeah, it looks like he is, but you got to win on the field now. All right. Ari, I love it. We have we've asked all the great questions. I think that's a good topic, though, for next week that we brought up earlier in the show. I would like to explore this. What is the next reset game where we, we look at the results of the game? We go, 
oh, wow, things are different now. And I'm, I'm talking about like the Alabama-Clemson game in 2008, where it's yeah. just like, whoa, a season opener that changed everybody's expectations. What games this year could be that game? We're going to talk about that next week.